Cork are in serious trouble. In the Munster Championship, they're going to get beaten. They're going to get beaten early. And when the Cork crowd turn against them, they turn so harsh. The Football Pod is available every Tuesday exclusively on the OTB Sports app. We are turning our attention back to the Six Nations because France have got back into the winner's enclosure. They are Grand Slam champions and one person who was there to watch them do it on Saturday night was Chris Jones, BBC Rugby Union correspondent. Chris, good morning to you. Hey, how's it going, guys? Good to be here. Yeah, very well, thanks. How good was that atmosphere, first of all, on Saturday night? How special did this feel for the French public that they'd finally got back winning? Momentous occasion really was special. I was lucky enough to be uh, there in round two for the Ireland game as well, and the crowd was just was just sensational as well that, that, that evening. There was definitely an air of of trepidation around and nervousness. You know, pre-game there was a party atmosphere, but when the game started, you feel an early try would have settled some nerves. And if Fiku had caught that ball when they sliced England open, that may have just got the crowd going. But yeah, it, France had had England at arm's length throughout, didn't they? It got back to five points at, at one time, but when Antoine Dupont scored what round about the hour mark to take it out to twelve. The roof came off, and uh, yeah, look, it was a it was a, a fulfilment and a, a sign that this French another sign this French crowd are incredibly behind the French team and French rugby's in a great place. What's your sense at the moment of where the teams of the Six Nations exist? If we were to put them into tiers, is it is it France out on a tier of their own with four teams in the middle and, and Italy at the bottom, or, or how would you categorize them? No, no. I'd, I'd say it's France, then a, then a small gap to Ireland, and then a big gap to the rest. Right. And the table doesn't lie. Mm. You know, this isn't this isn't the sort of oh, the, there's a you know a win here and a win there. What France twenty four points, Ireland twenty one, England Scotland on ten. You know, over the course of just a five match tournament, a gap of eleven points is is market a sizable gap. Um, and that was the way it was was borne out. Look, Ireland weren't quite good enough to win at the Stade de France. They started poorly. They didn't have Johnny Sexton. Uh, but apart from that, they smashed everyone. You know, they won the Triple Crown at a canter. That doesn't really happen. I know England had a red card at Twickenham, but to put 32 points on, to beat Scotland with a bonus point, to take Wales to the cleaners, there is a big gap between Ireland and the rest at, at the moment. That's not to say it can't be narrowed. Of course it can. It can be narrowed really quickly. But yeah, that, that table paints a clear picture that France is the best team in Europe. Ireland are behind, but not loads and loads behind. And then the rest are just, uh, you know, to use a racing parlance, scrabbling for the places. Nice, nice racing parlance. Uh, a lot of racing parlance. I'm, I'm intrigued by that, Chris. Like, I'm not a big rugby fan, but I did not get the impression at Twickenham that Ireland were much better than England at all. I thought if they were 15 v 15, they would have struggled to even win the game. Hard to say. And look, it's also that the home factor and the way England played with 14 was really admirable. Um, but I felt almost watching that game back, it's like Ireland's performance improved on on second viewing because you saw how how well they were able to to pick England apart and then they were kind of almost guilty of of what France were doing on the weekend just forcing things desperately wanting you know things to go to hand to to settle them them down and they probably forced it a bit much with the red tried offloads they wouldn't have done otherwise against 15 men so it's it's kind of hypothetical to say whether England and Ireland are on the the same page because the score lines don't you know don't don't show that Ireland put them to the to the sword in Dublin last year and then beat them 32-15 at Twickenham and I know it could have been a different story with 15 but it wasn't 15 so we're, we're talking about ifs and buts candy and nuts there aren't we so I, I think um I think probably uh it would well, be hard for any any England fan to argue that they are they're up there with Ireland when you look at at the, the tournament as a whole. Uh, the mood music around England is the main reason why we wanted to speak to you this morning, Chris, because it's two wins and three sure. defeats. 
two years in a row at this point. The RFU have been grabbing plenty of headlines deliberately over the last couple of days, it seems. Uh, they said that they will conduct a campaign debrief in the next fortnight and Jones is going to hold a review with feedback from his assistants and players. They released a statement saying that Eddie Jones is building a New England team and against a clear strategy, we are encouraged by the solid progress the team has made during this Six Nations campaign. The RFU continues to fully support Eddie, the coaching team and players and we are excited about the summer tour and the progress to rebuild a winning England team. So they fully believe that Eddie Jones is the man for the job. In fact, they believe this has been a pretty good Six Nations. Yeah, it's 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 quite incredible, actually. I think it's hard to read that that statement with a straight face. And to be clear, you know, it's not an open and shut case. It's it's not a, the, the the case that Eddie Jones has got to go. That is that is not the case. Eddie Jones can still turn England around. He can still get to a semi final of that World Cup, if not better. But to talk about solid progress when England had the same number of match points, fewer tries, same number of defeats as last year, it's disingenuous, isn't it? And it's either very naive that they think England fans will buy this or it's done purely to try and stave off any speculation about Jones's future, in which case it's insulting to England fans. So I can't see the, this, how this is a good look. I can't see how this any, anyone at the RFU thought, yeah, let, let's do this. And Last year, there was a big root and branch review into England's poor campaign. But before that review, Conor O'Shea and and Bill Sweeney were on a press call. And Conor O'Shea especially was incredibly supportive of, of Eddie Jones. So these reviews are happening, but it, you, it, you can't see much changing. Eddie Jones answers to Bill Sweeney, the chief executive only. Sweeney's done a lot of really good work over the past few years, but he's a novice in rugby terms when it comes to administration. He's only worked in rugby since 2019. Jones has made it clear that uh, someone above him can't really tell him what to do unless they've coached international rugby. So it really is Eddie Jones's way or the highway. There isn't a way really that Twickenham can challenge Eddie Jones because what Eddie Jones says at the moment they seem to be buying. So it, it's not a, it's not a great situation, and the, the people I think who are who are probably feeling a little bit disrespected are the hard you know the hardworking England fans who are paying a load of money to go to Twickenham, a load of money to support them on the road. And are being told two wins out of five is is very good progress. Were any details from that root and branch review last year leaked at all to the media? They put out a big kind of analysis, and again, um, uh, you know, just to be clear, I think the RFU have done a lot of really good stuff over the last year. They've been dealt some rotten hands with with COVID and everything else that's been going on. But again, that report last year was a farce. It was risable. They spoke about. COVID and bubbles, sure, not great at all, very tricky, but the same for all sides. They spoke about alignment with the Premiership clubs as if the Premiership clubs are a new thing, as if this club country situation and structure in England suddenly was magicked up overnight. They were speaking about uh, technique at the breakdown. This is the most experienced England team of all time, saying that they were technically and tactically deficient, and that the, the only people who didn't seem to have any blame apportioned to them from the review last year was Eddie Jones and his coaches. And they actually said, oh, because I think it was Jason Riles wasn't able to fly over from Australia, that disrupted things as well. So you can always find an excuse, can't you? You can, you know, I, I hear a lot of, of noises coming out of the England camp that, oh, our, our running meters are really high, really high running meters, getting to the 22 a lot. But that's the same as saying in soccer or football, put loads of crosses in the box. That's the job done. It's about scoring goals, scoring tries, scoring points. France spent less than a minute in the red zone and scored four tries. That, that's test rugby. It's being clinical. So there's lots of you here that make you feel a little bit uncomfortable about the direction things are taking. 
there is no doubt Eddie Jones can turn it around. He's done it before. But I think it would be advisable for people at the RFU just to front up and say, this hasn't been great for two Six Nations in a row. And, um, and I think the fans deserve that honesty. Eddie Jones has said that there's a 3% gap between where England are currently and where they need to get next year. Is that the same gap that England felt they had to, I guess, get over in 2018? Because I guess that's a little bit of a mirror image, especially given Ireland beat them near to the end of the championship and there's a World Cup coming the following year. Yeah, yeah, it's, it is a mirror image. Three, I, just, I don't know, 3%, that's so arbitrary. Yeah. Where does, where does 3%, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, what, I, I'm not sure how, how we're meant to react to that, 3%. Oh, so an England fan goes, oh, it's only 3%, that's not much. <laughs> Great. I I, sorry, I, I, I'm, again, Eddie, look, Eddie Jones puts a lot of stats out there and you have to take a lot of them with a pinch of salt. Some are bang on accurate and you go, oh, it's really perceptive. And some you just go, I, I, I'm not sure how to react to that. The 18 and 19 things are really interesting, Mira, you're right, because England were, were terrible in 18. I remember Ireland came to Twickenham on around about Paddy's Day and freezing cold day at Twickenham, beating England at a canter at Twickenham. You thought, wow, people shouldn't be coming to, the, to, the, to win the Grand Slam at a canter like that. That was a brilliant Ireland performance and a poor England one. They went to South Africa in the summer, got beaten twice and then cobbled together a decent enough autumn and then came out the blocks in Dublin in 2019. However... England had a core then in 2019 and going into the 2019 Rugby World Cup uh, of the Saracens core with both Bonapolis fit and firing, Jamie George, Marowatoje, so half of the forward pack, Manu Tuolangi fit and in the midfield and the Ford Farrell access, which really was England's USP. And England have had an extraordinary number of assistant coaches running attack over the last six years. Eddie Jones, Martin Gleeson, Ed Robinson's done skills. Sam Vesti's had a bit. Glenn Ellis done a bit. Scott Wisemantle's done a bit. Roy Teague's done a bit. It's hard to keep up. The constants have always been George Ford and Owen Farrell. They've run England's attack. They've been the creative rugby intellectual hubs of that England team. Farrell's been injured. Ford's been sidelined. The Saracens core has been sidelined. Eddie Jones has been really clear to move away from them. Manitoulangi's not fit. Who knows when and if he will be fit for England going forward in the future. So all the pillars that made England super strong in 2019 just aren't there. And that's Eddie Jones's choice to do that. Of course, Farrell and Tuolangi are injured. That, that's tough to take. But you just worry that it's a, not long to the World Cup and loads of rugby to play still, of course. But England are trying a completely different style and going away from some of the pillars that made them strong in 2019. They're talking a lot about attack, but we're not seeing it on the pitch. So... Of course, England can turn it around. They'll, they could have a quarterfinal against Australia or Wales and get to a semi. But is it this, this, this jam tomorrow, it'll be all right on the night, World Cup's all that counts, that I think leaves some, some England fans and people following the rugby a little bit uncomfortable because you saw on Saturday night how important the Six Nations is, how important the Grand Slam is. And I wonder if England could be focusing on the here and now first and then looking at the World Cup a bit later. What'll be interesting then is is this summer. Does this summer and the Australia tests a resurgent Australia, no less? Does does that put pressure on Eddie Jones in terms of his position, or do you think, regardless of what happens there, even if it's three defeats, he's fine? It's it's hard, isn't it? Because you could either say it's all about results, in which case England could, you know, have play, play a very kicking tactic, a territorial orientated game like they did in twenty twenty which got them some, some handy wins, albeit most of them at Twickenham. Um, or you could say it's about performance and building a structure that is going to be successful on the medium-term medium basis. 
But at the moment, England are doing neither. They're neither showing this brand new England Eddie Jones has spoken a lot about, and they're not also winning matches. RFU seem to be so squarely behind Eddie Jones that they can go and lose 3-0 in Australia and he would still survive because the World Cup is everything and that's all that counts in their eyes. But I think if he was to lose 3-0 and also not show any discernible signs of progress in terms of an identity, structure or style, then I think the questions will come will come thick and fast. And I, and I think in our, the RFU's attempt to shut down any talk about Jones and his future by putting up this statement, it's almost fuel in the fire because people will go, well, this statement doesn't make sense. This is what's wrong with England. So it's a, it's a tricky time for England at the moment. They've been here before in 2018. Eddie Jones has been here before. He's got loads of experience, but it's certainly a, a tricky time. And I don't know how many England fans could be totally confident they're going to turn it around on the short, medium or long-term basis. Could we just entertain the, the, the prospect that the, the RFU may be looking elsewhere at the end of the summer then? Because it's, it's a really interesting conversation and it's been written about quite a bit since Saturday. Like the London Times, for example, have a two-page spread this morning on who the Eddie Jones successors might be. You've got Warren Gatlin's name in there. You've got Andy Farrell's name in there. You've got Razzie Erasmus's name in there. Uh, to, to be fair to them, a lot of them are saying, no, they're, they're just not going to be available. They're going to be impossible to get. But if we just throw... Warren Gatlin's name out there at the moment because he is relatively gettable compared to some of those other names. Is that a realistic future for the RFU that they, they work with Warren Gatlin? See, it's, hard, it's hard, isn't it, to talk about other other people and um, replacements for a guy who's still in his job. And I, I don't want to be all, all pious about it, but you know, it, it's I, 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 you know, Eddie Jones is, is still in this job, and the RFU have made it really clear they are back in their man. I mean, Warren Gatlin does, it would make would make sense in wants to go you know he, he's I think he would want to coach England one day and basically have a go with it, all the things and all the, the great um, things you have in place when it comes to England rugby and I don't think it would be impossible to get him out of the Chiefs for an, on an 18 month deal before going to an English based coach like an Alexanderson or probably a Steve Borthwick after 2023 but I think that's kind of hy- hypothetical um, because at the moment Jones is in his job and the RFU are showing no signs of wanting to make a change before 2023 and, that, and that's cool that's totally cool. If the RFU want to stick to their strategy, which they put out in 2019 of giving Eddie Jones four more years, that, that, that's their, completely their prerogative. I think I need to be a little bit more upfront with the England fans and acknowledge when things aren't going so well and not just say, oh, everything's fine, nothing to see here. It'll be all right come, come 2023. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 what I do think is saying it's too close to the World Cup or there are no other candidates for any job, regardless of whether we're talking about England or another rugby nation, Scotland, Wales, whoever it might be under under pressure at the moment, saying there is no one else or it's too close to the World Cup. Those aren't good enough reasons to keep someone if the union don't think they're doing a good enough job. That that can't be the right reasoning. Oh, there's no one else with all the coaches around the world or it's too close. When you look at the numerous examples of teams changing their head coach really close to World Cup and still being successful. So I don't buy them as reasonings for not changing a coach, but are if you are squarely behind Eddie Jones and I, I don't think they're in any mood for changing um, whatever this review throws up. Just just on the Andy Farrell situation, like what's his kind of rep in England now after um, this Six Nations and how do they? How is he generally viewed in terms of being the future England manager? Yeah, I mean high reputation and all the all the England guys from 2015 have a high reputation. They might they might find that that uh, ironic given that the tough time they got after that home World Cup, but it was a very it was quite a young and inexperienced coaching group at 2015. You know, I know Graham Rounds had been, had been around a bit before and Andy Farrell obviously was an incredible player. Stuart Lancaster coached through the system, but not many of them had sat on the halfway line in a World Cup 
do or die must win game and maybe that inexperience showed you go forward a few years now what are we you know 2022 seven odd years on from um from 2015 and you've got all of them now steeped in more experience with Farrell and Cat especially getting more international experience Lancaster working wonders at Leinster and being a big part of that 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 Leinster cohesion and strategy that we're seeing with the Ireland team so all of those guys have a really good reputation Farrell actually Eddie Jones tried to get back in 2018 when John Mitchell moved on but you know I think what he had going on at Ireland with taking over from Joe Schmidt was too good to too good to, to leave and there wasn't probably an, enough reassurance to twick him about his long-term future um, but certainly Andy Farrell is earmarked to coach England uh, as a head coach at one time in the future whether it's in 2023 or beyond that. Because I think that was possibly one of the things that held that up at the time was Andy Farrell wanted a clear path to become head coach again and maybe that wouldn't have worked as somebody on Eddie Jones's ticket at the time. Yeah, I, I, I actually don't know that for sure but I know people have, who, who, who do know that have written that if that makes any sense. Sure. So I think when, when, when Andy Farrell um, came in he wanted some kind of, you know, maybe not, not a reassurance but maybe just a... Um, a sign that there was a pathway to him being a head coach one day. Ambitious guy. We know, you know, we, we know his ambition. We know he, he didn't just want to be pigeonholed as a defence coach because he's gone and coaching Ireland and winning a triple crown as a head coach. So I think he, he would want, if he came to England, that kind of reassurance, which he maybe didn't get at the time. And maybe when it was that kind of 2018, Eddie Jones was 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 down to do another four years. And um yeah, so I, I think I think when it comes to 2023, the RFU do have a plan. They've not made it totally clear, but I think they have a plan. I think Steve Borthwick is a major content. I think they're looking closely at Alex Sanderson. And then they've got people like Sean Edwards, Andy Farrell. There are English coaches or English-based coaches all around at the moment doing good things. One of them, two, three, four will be involved come 2023. But at the moment, they are wedded to this Eddie Jones he'll get it right in France project. And just to reiterate, that, that is fine. That is their, their prerogative. But yeah, to say that the team's in a, in a good spot, loads of progress, and because they've got plenty of running meters, everything's okay. Yeah, just to repeat myself, I don't think is, is exactly what the England fans want to hear. I, but I do think there is something happening after 2023. But it's not about 2023 at the moment. It's about 2022 going forward, the next few championships and, and how England shape up there. Just one last question then. You mentioned Conor O'Shea and his involvement obviously in the Rudin Branch review last year. He's going to be involved this year obviously in the advisory panel. Uh, he's the director of performance at the RFU. It, it's sometimes very hard to get a sense of, of how well somebody's doing in a job, especially in the, the hierarchy of a, of a rugby union like that. Uh, but, but have you heard anything? Have you seen anything to, 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 to suggest that, that Conor O'Shea is doing a, a good job or otherwise? Or, or what have you heard about his role so far? Well, I think there are, are some facets which seem to be going really well and some less so. Um, the, the England women are a brilliant team, the best in the world. They're on this magic unbeaten run. They're Grand Slam champions. They'll go for another slam. The Premier 15s is building and a lot of his remit has been over the women's game and he's done a great job from that point of view. But also his remit is in terms of the pathways and the England under-20s just flopped in their Six Nations. Um and you don't get the sense from Eddie Jones that he thinks there are loads of talent in the club game because of the amount of times he brings someone in, gives them a couple of caps and then and then bins them off. So um, Conor O'Shea is responsible for the professional game as a whole. Conor is one of the great men of rugby and an incredible communicator. And I think us in the media are all very surprised at how anonymous and low profile he's been over the past few years. I think we all thought he would be much more of a, a face and a voice of Twickenham and maybe sitting not above Eddie Jones, but certainly offering that rugby IQ to challenge Eddie Jones. But it does seem as if any 
The only person Eddie Jones is answerable to is the chief executive, Bill Sweeney. And Eddie Jones has written in one of his leadership books, no chief executive who hasn't coached can really tell the, the head coach how to coach. So we're in a situation where it's, it, Eddie Jones, do, actually, by the way, it's, it's operating. Eddie Jones does not have enough people pushing back on him because it doesn't seem as if Conor O'Shea is doing it. And Bill Sweeney, I think he's prepared to accept Eddie Jones's explanations, as that statement would have shown. So it's actually hard to review Connor's job in the round because we hear from him so little. Mm. Um, certainly, the you know aspects like the women's game are going really well. I think in terms of coach ID and development, that's going much better, and that may bear fruit come 2023. But it's hard because a lot of that is going on behind the scenes. Okay, very interesting. It's going to be a fascinating 18 months at say in English rugby, and one we'll keep a close eye on. Chris, great stuff. Thanks a million for your time this morning. Thanks for having me on. Nice one. Cheers. Chris Jones there. He's the rugby union correspondent with the BBC, shedding some light on what's going on over there at the moment in England and plenty of reaction to that chat. John has been in touch to say this should be no surprise. England were abysmal in 2018 and went on to reach the World Cup final in 2019. Eddie Jones is there to win the World Cup and nothing else. Judge England after the Six Nations 2023 I would tend to agree with that I would, I would uh, definitely feel that I think I actually said in the show a couple of weeks ago that if you ask England fans would they be happy with Eddie Jones they would say yes I'm clearly wrong about that I don't think England fans are, are happy at all at the moment but I think I'm viewing that from an Irish prism that we would give everything up just for some World Cup success mm. and Eddie Jones proved four years ago that that's exactly what he did and on fairness Chris Jones did make the point that there's every chance that, that happens and Fergus has also been in touch to say England sacrificed this Six Nations to give game time to guys like Smith Randall Stewart Ireland played Sexton Murray and O'Mahony where possible what did England learn what did Ireland learn and that's a, that's a very interesting point because England possibly we'll be looking around saying they learned loads in this the, the, the pillars that, that Chris Jones spoke about there might be back in the team they'll be Eddie Jones might say well that was a complete car crash uh, let's, let's just go back to, to what worked for me before and, and away they go now I would say what did Ireland learn is an interesting question it feels to me and I could be, this could be a complete naive feeling it feels to me as if Ireland have more of a distance to go to reach their ceiling this, at this stage than they did four years ago it felt like at the end of 2018 granted it's a grand slam versus a triple crown it felt everything's perfect this is the best Irish team ever whereas it felt like there was actual negativity after winning in Twickenham for obvious reasons there was a bit of negativity after the weekend it doesn't feel as if people are getting carried away as much this year as they were four years ago obviously it's not a grand slam this time but it feels that there's a lot of development that needs to go and I think Ireland definitely learned that their front row needs a little bit more depth that they're going to be able to live with a team like France and I think that'll definitely be the case uh, against a team like South Africa and chances are they're going to be playing France and they're definitely going to be playing South Africa at the end of next year so I think Ireland learned plenty but I definitely agree with with the point on England that uh, they possibly learned the most of any team in this year's Six Nations so be interesting to see how that goes over the next little while 